0: Mark Cuban. Going
1: against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me.
0: David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie
2: Bus, Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris
3: Everett.
1: It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian.
3: Damian Luller.
0: That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Maria Taylor.
2: Oh,
0: thanks,
1: Brian. I appreciate it. In your preparation shows to you.
3: Tim Howard.
0: Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward
3: to
1: catching up with you again soon.
3: Just to name a few. Nice. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. hope that you're doing great. We've got a jam-packed show for you this week. Eric Musselman, the head coach of the University of Arkansas Razorbacks men's basketball team, It was pretty cool. He heard my interview with Coach Paul Westhead, who I know well from his days at Loyola Marymount. Coach Westhead led the Lakers to an NBA championship. So Eric Musselman reached out, said he made that interview mandatory listening for everyone on his staff. And we got to talking, and I said, hey, why don't you join me on Sports Business Radio? So he's done so this week. Really interesting perspective on coaching a team during a pandemic, having to tell your team in March, hey, Our season is abruptly ending because COVID has shut us down. No March Madness. What's he doing to prepare for the upcoming 2020-21 season? Also, he is the son of a head coach, Bill Musselman, the late Bill Musselman. And how did that influence him coming up? And lastly... Coach Moss used to coach the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings, so what are the biggest differences between coaching at the NCAA level, where he's 130 wins, 46 losses, and coaching an NBA team? We get that insight from Coach Moss coming up on our show today. Also, Keith Foreman, co-founder of Sports Business Radio, is going to join us for the latest installment of our COVID-19 roundtable discussions, where we kind of examine where the sports world currently stands six months into the pandemic that shut it down in March of 2020. This week's edition of Sports Business Radio is presented by CBDMD, the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. From sleep PM to their freeze pain relief product, they've got a wide variety of THC-free products that are my choice and the official choice of Sports Business Radio. Visit CBDMD.com enter the promo code SBR to save 25% at checkout. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. And uh, I really enjoyed the Muscleman interview because it's just like you said, it's the perspective of coaching during COVID is something that the normal person doesn't really think about and how much more difficult their job is with the team and managing a team and changing schedules and workouts and all that stuff. So really interesting interview. He has some great stories too. I'll, uh, Paul Westhead, too. But uh, great stories, great interview. And of course, you and Keith Banter is always fun, too.
3: Yeah. No, good, good stuff. I think if you don't learn some things from listening today, uh, you're listening with the volume down. So turn it up, and I think you'll have some good uh, nuggets to take away today. want to start off with a few headlines. Number one, rest in peace to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'll tell you, last summer, my daughter and I went to Washington, D.C. for a week And we had the opportunity to sit inside of the Supreme Court. And Griggs, that was one of the more powerful moments of my life. I know it was powerful for my daughter, too. And you see, you know, the chairs of the Supreme Court justices and where Ruth Bader Ginsburg sat. And you just kind of reflect on the landmark decisions that have been made inside of that Supreme Court room. And You know, she was an amazing woman and she inspired a lot of people, including my daughter. So, rest in peace to one of the greats.
2: Yeah, she really was. And I mean, 87 years old, she was still working all the way till the end. And what is just a great example of, especially for young women, like you said with Sophia, your daughter, um, you know, just a woman like that that can be a leader and in the high court and work her whole life doing that. And uh,
3: yeah, very inspiring for a lot of people. So, yes, RIP to Ruth. So, if you have not seen the movie RBG, or On the Basis of Sex, two different movies, great movies, both about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I would highly recommend that you see both of those. All right, another headline, Michael Jordan is going to serve as the principal owner of an unnamed single-car team that's going to feature Bubba Wallace as the driver. Wallace has signed a multi-year deal for the team, which will feature... Three-time Daytona 500 winner Denny Hamlin is a minority owner. Hamlin and Jordan have been friends for many years. This is really cool, Griggs. I mean, imagine the Jumpman logo on the car. That's going to be great. But I think Michael Jordan, because he transcends sports, is going to introduce a whole new fan base to NASCAR and to Bubba Wallace. I think it's a win for everyone.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And as you mentioned the car, I can't wait till to see the design with the logo and Jordan's influence on it. And I mean, Jordan's great. I mean, anything he touches obviously is solid gold. So I think it's gonna be great. Like you said, bringing some some hoop fans into the racing game. So bring it on. I'm excited to see how it comes out.
3: Well, a lot of people may not know Michael Jordan, who grew up in North Carolina, was a race car fan. And you know he's grown up around uh, fast cars and and things of that nature. So I, I think It's authentic to him. It's not like he's just throwing his name and his logo on something. This is something he's passionate about. So I think it's a a win all the way around. All right, two quick things before we get to our interviews. Number one, Griggs, last night I was watching ESPN's megacast on ESPN2, Monday Night Football. uh, The Raiders and the Saints. That new Allegiant Stadium for the Raiders looks amazing. I think we need to do a sports business radio roadshow at Allegiant Stadium. What do you think?
2: I'm down with that. Yeah, it looked awesome. I mean that that view from down the end with the glass wall, and then you just see all the hotels from the strip. Pretty cool location. We drove. We were in Vegas back in October, I think. No, before COVID, sometime, and we saw them building it. And I'm like, oh, the location's
3: amazing!" So it was cool to see on TV. So I put out a tweet while I was watching the MegaCast. You know, basically said uh, they had Charles Barkley and Peyton Manning on at the time, but they had many other guests, Mark Cuban and Russell Wilson, and. Uh, just a, a load of, of people on ESPN2. So it wasn't the main Monday Night Football broadcast on ESPN. It was the megacast on ESPN2. And I just said I would sit and listen to Peyton Manning and Charles Barkley all day long. Their conversation was actually better than the game at that point. And lo and behold, Griggs, I'm watching on Monday Night Football and the Sports Business Radio logo and the tweet pops up. Pretty cool when you see our branding on national TV.
2: Yeah, it was great. You sent me the screenshot and I was like, no way. That's so awesome. Because it just looked like it was official. It looked like we were legit. Loving it. And it was a great tweet. So it makes sense. And I agree. And Peyton and Charles, just put them on all day long. I'm listening.
3: Yeah, it was cool to be on alongside of them. Last thing I want to just quickly discuss. I had a chance to be in the Denver Nuggets virtual fan experience room, Game 7 Nuggets and Clippers last week. And, you know, we had kind of joked... How do you get in that room? What do you do? So Michelob Ultra is the sponsor of the NBA's virtual fan experience. I happen to know someone with the Denver Nuggets, Declan Bolger, who's a good friend, chief marketing officer. He's been on the show before. He was kind enough to let me into the virtual fan experience. And Griggs, what a great time to be in there. Game seven. And Alex English Nuggets, great, was in there. Rocky, the Denver Nuggets mascot, was in there. And then they had a bunch of fans in there they use microsoft teams to help you log in and it's really cool i mean you go in and and you can you're basically seeing the the shot that they're seeing in the arena where you're in like one of those virtual seats and then you can also see the game on your computer so you can watch the game on your computer and see what's going on in in real time and then you can see the shot that's up on the Screen in the bubble there, and I had people texting me, "Hey, I see you behind the Denver Nuggets bench." We even made the Sports Business Daily uh, with John Allen. He he did a little blurb that we were in there, but it was fun to experience it. Obviously, it can never replace being at the game itself. But Griggs, I'm starting to wonder. Like, I wonder if some of these sports teams, NBA, NFL, and otherwise, maybe you build a virtual fan experience. In your arena or stadium and that becomes part of the game experience going forward. So if you can't attend the game in person or you can't afford to attend the game or you're a fan of the Chicago Bears and you don't live in Chicago, maybe there's a way for the virtual fan experience to still stay part of things even when we return back to normal.
2: Oh, hands down. I think they would miss an opportunity if they didn't do something like that. I think it's a great a great thing and I think Michelob Ultra has done so good with the NBA. It's been become part of the broadcast. The announcers are, you know, showing the screenshots and going over there and panning over to the fans. It's really engaged the fans more than any league I think so far when they can't actually be there. So, it was great. And I love seeing you down the corner with Scotty Dog. That was great.
3: That's right. I put our dog on for a little bit so uh he got to sit in the virtual fan experience as well. So, overall, Uh, kudos to the NBA, kudos to Microsoft teams. Thank you to the Denver nuggets for allowing me to crash that party. You know, again, they won a game seven. So I don't know that there's a much better time to sit in the virtual fan experience and a game seven win. So that was fun to see the vibe going on in there. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. So, and it was just cool to kind of, you know, get inside of it and see what it was like. And I I would give it a, a very positive review. All right, coming up next, Eric Musselman, the head basketball coach at the University of Arkansas. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. CBDMD is the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio, and I couldn't be happier. Their products have made a huge difference in the quality of my life, my daughter's life, even our dog's life. I was having a difficult time sleeping, and CBDMD CBD PM drops and capsules have allowed me to sleep better than I have in years. CBD Freeze has been amazing for my daughter and I after we work out. Even our dog loves CBDMD's soft chews. They've got a great array of products. And one of the things I like the most about CBDMD's products, they're all THC-free. That was very important to me. CBDMD is also the first American CBD company to be publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Check them out under the ticker symbol YCBD. Athletes such as two-time Masters champion golfer Bubba Watson, former NFL wide receiver turned broadcaster Nate Burleson, and UFC athletes Daniel Cormier and Chael Sonnen use CBDMD's high quality products. Change your quality of life just like I did. These are anxious times for a lot of us and CBDMD's products have helped me sleep better and just live a, a higher quality of life. Visit CBDMD.com and enter the promo code SBR to save 25% off at checkout. That's cbdmd.com, promo code SBR. My guest is Eric Musselman. He is the head basketball coach for the Arkansas Razorbacks, former head coach of the Golden State Warriors and Sacramento Kings. He's been an assistant in the NBA as well. Huge success as an NCAA head coach, compiling a record of 130 wins, Only 46 losses. You can find him on Twitter at Eric P. Musselman. Coach Moss, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on.
3: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. And and I think I told you when we uh, connected, you know, I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers and your dad, Bill, was one of the assistants there right after I left. So I was around him a little bit, but you come from great pedigree. Your dad was such a great coach. What was it like growing up around such a great coach and how did that influence you to want to become you know what you've become today
1: well brian i didn't grow up uh, playing in a sandbox i can tell you that (laughs) uh, (laughs) there was no cartoons played when i came down for breakfast before school Um, obviously a unique upbringing Uh, my dad was my best friend he was my idol i wanted to walk in his shoes from a really really young age Um, i even remember Uh, early elementary school I would get out of school my mom would drive me to the University of Minnesota I would go to their practices which were in the afternoon Uh, I would shoot after practice when he would go uh, have his staff meetings and then I would later join him a lot of times food would be brought in and we would spend some of the early evening uh, watching game tape and then I would go back with him and then it would start all over the next day so um, being able to go on road trips um, you know with my dad both when he was coaching at the University of Minnesota I remember going on a road trip very vividly uh, playing at Michigan when they had Campy Russell and um, and then later on when I got a little bit older um, having the ability to be a ball boy um, you know for for my dad and and, and it was really interesting Brian he he kind of wanted me to be the ball boy attendant uh, in the Cavaliers um, locker room. And I wanted to do it with the opposing team so that I would be around other star players on other teams. So, But just so many opportunities and got a chance to meet so many of his friends, um, both in the NBA and then maybe more importantly, some of the connections that he had outside of uh, the, the NBA and other sports. So, it, so an incredible upbringing and a lot of leadership qualities learned on a daily basis.
3: The three E's were very big with Coach Bill Musselman. Energy, effort, enthusiasm. I know you preach that with your teams today. Explain that to our audience.
1: Yeah, well, I, when, when I, you know, my mom would pack my lunch. And my dad's contribution to, to the brown paper bag lunch was, he wrote every day, effort, energy, and enthusiasm. And uh, when my dad was on a road trip, Um, during the week, a school week, my mom would then, uh, follow up writing that in his place. But, you know, he just, his big thing was like, if you bring effort, you bring energy and you do it with enthusiasm, you know, anything could be accomplished in life. And, um, you know, I mean, he was a three sport, um, player in, in college at Wittenberg, a small school in Ohio. He grew up in Worcester, Ohio, and and so to think that he could become an NBA um, head coach um, and just to see the work ethic of how he did it, and he was just so far ahead of his time as as far as promotion. His teams had a pregame warm-up that was like the Harlem Globetrotters. (laughs) Um, You know, I I just think that um, the lessons learned – um, from someone that was ahead of his time promotionally because a lot of stuff I do on social media, I learned from him at a really, really young age. Hmm.
3: Your son, Michael, is now on your staff at Arkansas. That must be a fun experience for the both of you.
1: It really is, Brian. I mean, the the, the I worked with my father for one year uh, while he coached uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And interestingly, um, he, he got hired the year before their inaugural season. Um, and then it was just about the season training camp was actually just about to start. It was like middle of September and my dad still hadn't hired me, uh, to be, be on his staff. So I called him cause I just assumed he was hiring me. Um, and I called him and said, dad, you know, training camp's like a week and a half away are, are you not going to hire me? And he said, son, you've never been a coach. And the year before, I was actually a general manager for the Rapid City Thrillers, and Flip Saunders was our coach. Um, And and he said, you're not joining me until you prove yourself as a coach. Um, And Flip ended up going and coaching the lacrosse Catbirds, and so it opened up the Rapid City Thriller job. I did that for a year and then got a chance to be my dad's assistant coach, Brian. And so that was uh, one year that now that he's no longer – you know, living is a year that I'll always look back on. Um, you know, Tom Thibodeau was on that staff. Um, I actually lived with my dad for a really, really short time frame because he woke me up one of the first nights there and wanted to watch how to defend pick and rolls with Stockton and Malone. <laughs> And I was in the you know middle of the night and I'm like, I got to get out of here. I asked Coach Thibodeau where he was living. I moved into the Hennepin Crossing apartment complex with Thibodeau after a few nights with my dad. But, you know, the interesting thing, first father, son, head coaches in the history of the NBA and now Michael on staff, uh, kind of a third generation of of somebody who wants to go into coaching. And I would be, you know, utterly shocked if my younger son, Matthew, who's a sophomore at the University of San Diego, wouldn't get into coaching as well.
3: I love it. I love all in the family. Um, I just think it's great, the bond that, that you guys have. One of the things that you do uh, that I thought was really interesting, I saw this on your social media, you have your current Arkansas players write a letter to a past Arkansas Razorback who wore their same number. How did you come up with that? I love that.
1: You know, there's just so much history um, at, at Arkansas, Brian. And, I, you know, I started thinking, I was looking through an old media guide, you know, and I started looking at all these great players, the Sidney Moncriefs and the Corliss Williamsons. And I kind of thought, like, how can we, you know, make those guys, Joe Klein, make those guys feel a part of the program and, 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 and know that we are discussing what they did and what they accomplished. Um, And I actually wrote a letter to coach Nolan Richardson as well. Hmm. Um, You know, and I just, I, I, you know, like there's so many cool things about coaching in college. Um, And, and we want the Daryl walkers and all those guys to know, like, Hey, we recognize what you guys did. We recognize that there's got to be great pride putting this uniform on because of the history of the program, and I have not done that, Brian, anywhere else that I've been. Um, but we did feel, uh, with the history of the program, that it was something that we really needed to do. And I wanted, I wanted our current players to know uh, a little bit about the program, so they actually had to study. What we did is we gave each player four to five names of people who wore that number, and then they had to go back. And they had to study to see which one they wanted to write to.
3: I think that's great. I just think it's really, I think, you know, you look at all these sports teams, whether it's basketball or football or baseball, knowing the heritage of who laid that path before you, whether it's a coach or a player, I think it's really important.
1: I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I know, like, for me, you know, I love to study coaches. And, um, you know, it was really important, like, there was a show on, uh, Eddie Sutton, a documentary on him. And, and, and I thought it was important because Coach Sutton had so many great years at Arkansas that not only I watch it, um, I told our whole staff that they had to watch it. Um, and I also wanted my wife and daughter to watch it just because of the history and showing great respect for people that have laid the groundwork for us today.
3: Yeah. All right. I want to hop into current times because 2020, what a year. And you know, everyone I've had on the show this year, they've had to pivot in some way, shape, or form. How has it been coaching during a pandemic when, you know, we've all been social distancing and, and March Madness was canceled? Like, it's just been a crazy year. How have you pivoted during
1: this year? Well, Brian, the first thing we did was we really made a conscious effort. You know, I had worked for Doc Rivers in Orlando and studied a lot of stuff that he currently does. And, You know, one of the things that he talked to uh, with the L.A. Clippers when they were on downtime and not back in the gym was, you know, win the weight. So that's a phrase that we used with our guys. And what does the win the weight mean? Well, it means while uh, you weren't with us before you got back on campus, while we were waiting to see what was going to happen with our world, um, you know, are you doing push-ups? Are you doing sit-ups? Anybody can go. Uh, get a basketball even if it's an outdoor ball and, and dribble figure eight um, we can all lay in our bed and imagine being a better free throw shooter um, you know so all those things were part of winning the weight are you reading a book and studying about the history of basketball um, or are you reading a book uh, to learn something about the world so all those things we talked about winning the weight but um, we, you know be nimble is, is a phrase that we've used now that we're back together, uh, because it's you can do all the right things on a college campus. I mean, you can try to form a, a contained environment or a bubble or what, whatever phrase or wording you want, uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know these these young men are are college students. And you just never know something could be something as innocent as playing golf miniature golf with somebody, and then that person uh might get covid you know twenty four hours later, and then that particular person could go into you know quarantine for fourteen days and never have um you know covid so it's i think there's just so many things um the great thing is I coached in the u s b l and the and, and, and in the old CBA and in the G League and, and you're and, and and guys are coming and going. And I think that we've already seen it with a very, very short uh, college basketball or college football season. Just the first weekend, how rosters are are, are, are going to fluctuate based on, you know, the pandemic. And, and you've got to be nimble. You've got to be flexible. Uh, players are going to have to know multiple positions Um, because you just never know what's going to happen when you wake up the next day. And so uh, being nimble is something that we've talked about on a daily basis.
3: I'm curious because I haven't really talked to a a current college basketball coach this year. How are you guys doing testing? Is this daily testing? Is it every other day? How do you guys keep track and, and, you know, do the tracing and all of that stuff?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, the SEC has their own medical, you know, outline for when you're in season um, and then another one for when you're out of season. And um, for us, because we're not in season, um, we're now doing um, every Tuesday. Um, you know, we do uh, we do testing, and and uh, and then the tracing just becomes. Um, you know, it's it's pretty easy for us because our guys are all online classes right now, which they weren't last year, but but they are right now. Um, and then it's you know you're, like your trainer. And you're on campus, you know, medical team, meaning team doctors. And and the the, the rapport that they've developed, um, because I've seen it on a daily basis now with our trainer, um, the conversations that that they're having with our student-athletes. I mean, they're they're developing an incredible bond uh, through communication uh, since we've been back together.
3: And are the athletes – most college campuses I go to the athletes live in like special athlete dorms. So are your guys living in a, in a special dorm where they're a little bit more isolated than the general population? You mentioned that they're taking classes online too.
1: That's a great question. I mean, our upperclassmen and it's, and it was our philosophy that Nevada, we allowed guys to live off campus. We, you know, we trusted them, um, to, 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 to do the right things off campus. And, and, and oftentimes off-campus living allows the cost of living for those guys to have a little bit more money than, you know, on-campus living can be a little bit more expensive. Um, at Arkansas, we have, you know, we do have a rule with freshman athletes to, to live on campus. However, uh, what we found was that, you know, the dorms uh, could maybe have a little bit more higher risk um, with covid um, and so we have moved our four guys out um, of the dorm and into an off-campus place. But but we do have our guys living together um, so that they're not living with you know random students, and, and and we can follow their path of where they've been on a daily basis and who they've come in contact with.
3: So according to what I've read, November twenty-fifth or thereabout is the start date. Is that
1: right? That's correct. And that's about the extent of what I know. <laughs> so we got the date, um, but we still don't have much clarity. I mean, there's when you when, when you, you know, one of the big jobs in, in, as a college coach, obviously the recruiting's you know, number one. Um, you got your own team that you're dealing with. You've got all the factors of dealing with, uh, you know, speaking engagements and stuff. But scheduling is a huge part of a team's success or failure. If a team puts itself non-conference wise to have the ability to at least be in the conversation for postseason NCAA play. And right now um, we're not really exactly sure what the non-conference is going to look like. Some, you know, conferences, uh, you know, are still trying to figure out exactly what the season's going to look like. And I, and I think at the bottom, Line of all this, Brian, is like how do we play games, but yet most importantly, keep the student athletes safe and healthy. Yeah, and and
3: it's interesting to see, you know, some conferences, whether it's football or basketball, they're just playing conference games. You know, in football, we're seeing that a lot. Some are playing a few out of conference games, but I think you know one of the goals during twenty twenty, it seems in college athletics is play games in your geographic region so you're not flying cross country you're not riding buses you're not getting in hotels and things of that nature how do you think like if you could be the czar of college basketball for this season what do you think the best way to play this season is
1: yeah i think i think when you think about like you know all conference games i mean there is beauty in that because then you're talking about having the same COVID rules. Um, and you're also talking about um, financially, um, you know, in the SEC to be able to test once a week. And then again, the night before again, all those things, you, you know, you have the ability to do. I think when you start talking about a, a power five school playing a, a low major or mid major, how does that look from a testing standpoint? And we, we really don't know. Um, what that would look like, how that would look. Um, and so I think that's why there's a little bit of pause right now um, in the scheduling, although we do know when we can start. Um, we are in that pause, so to speak, um, as far as moving forward with the schedule. So uh, I do like the fact that that the, the regional games, getting on a bus, um, I've even st- – talk to, to programs that have in the past, even before the pandemic that have flown the day of the game and not spend the, spend the night.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and, and like our women's soccer team and, and our coach has incredible success. He has done that with games that are close enough to get on a charter, get back or same thing with the bus. Lon Kruger at Oklahoma, uh, for several years has flown the day of a game if it's not long travel. So, Um, you know certainly that's stuff that we've thrown around as a staff as well
3: there's such a debate going on especially with football right now about okay it's one thing to make NFL players play it's another thing to ask college athletes to play I get the money part of this and the TV rights and I get the fact that a lot of these student athletes they want to play but again, safety is the number one priority. I've had uh, the president of Oregon State University on this show, and and the presidents on these campuses are the ones who have the final say on whether play is going to happen or not with the schools and and the conferences. But
1: Brian, not to interrupt you, are you talking about King Alexander?
3: I am, yeah.
1: He he is a really, really good basketball player, by the way. Really? I wish I would have known that. I was at LSU as an assistant, and King Alexander would come in almost every day and get shots up or play pickup ball. Sorry to interrupt, but I no. have to throw that in. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I wish I would have known that. That would have been a great nugget to uh, to throw into our conversation. No, but I think these schools are in a tough spot because, you know, look, it's a business and they're trying to generate revenue. And we're seeing a lot of schools, even the Stanfords of the world who are having to cut sports because the revenues are not coming in from March Madness and from college football and, and things like that. So it's this dilemma of, you know, do I keep my kids as safe as possible or do we play so we can sustain this program and, you know, be able to play five, ten years from now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's, a, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's obviously a, a tough decision and that's why the testing becomes really important because if, if you're testing once a week or if you're testing multiple, Times, um, you know, you you have a way better chance to get a great handle um, on any outbreak that could happen within your team. Um, and that's why the testing becomes really important. That's why you have to really, really trust your student athletes as well. Like mm-hmm. if they have a cold, they've got to report that immediately, or a sore throat, or a headache, or body ache. It's really, really important that they understand all the symptoms. And then, hey, don't try to fight through it. You know, that's, that's not what this is about right now. This is about uh, being educated on what the symptoms are and then coming and being truthful uh, immediately. And so I think that's part of something from an education standpoint that you've got to talk to your, your team about. Um, but, I, but I do think as you look um, at, at today's athletic world, um, obviously Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA bubble, the WNBA bubble in, in Bradenton, Florida, the hockey. Obviously they have the two bubbles in Canada, but then there's a whole nother world that, that, that a lot of people don't know or hear about right now. AAU basketball there has been so many tournaments across the country. Um, there's high school football in many States that, that they're playing. Um, and so I do think that the student athletes who've dedicated, you know, their life to play collegiate football and then you only get you know this year you're lucky to get 10 games in Um, guys want to play most of the families want their student athletes to have the opportunity as long as the protocols are being followed to try to keep everybody as safe as possible
3: i have not spoken with a coach or a player who was told in march hey March Madness is canceled. How devastating was that? I mean, again, I think it was the right thing to do. But, I mean, you know, I'm out in Oregon, and Sabrina Enescu looked like she was on her way to winning a national championship at the University of Oregon, and, and you never get that back. So I imagine when you had to have that conversation with your players, it's probably really devastating.
1: It is, Brian, and, and, and he, like, here's the biggest reason is, is... – you know, I just, I had just come off three straight years at Nevada of participating in the NCAA tournament, you know, lost one, the, the, the one year, three years ago in the, in in first round, um, and then had an opportunity to go to a sweet 16. Um, and there's nothing better for a student athlete than to be able to participate in an NCAA tournament. And for us at Arkansas in March, it was really, really difficult. We, we had, won a game. Uh, we had beat Vanderbilt in the first round. We were getting ready to play um, South Carolina. and the way that our game started against Vanderbilt was my son came running off the floor. we were just about to tip. I think we were about seven minutes before the game, and he had just found out about the jazz and mm. Rudy Gobert. And so we went into that game walking out, you know, for the opening tip, thinking, is this particular game going to get canceled? Now, our players had no idea because their phones were already up um, and and they didn't have access to know what happened. But then immediately after the win, when we were obviously really excited that our chances were still alive in the SEC tournament, um, we were told immediately after the game that there would be no fans the next night. So that was an adjustment. We went right back and started preparing, again, we had the late game. We didn't get back till really late. We started video on, on South Carolina. We started talking about a game plan and we had a meeting the next morning um, at 11 a.m. to go through our walkthrough and I got a phone call from our athletic director, Hunter Juracek at about 10.48 uh, and he told me, so I didn't have a lot of time to gather myself. Um, I was a little bit shocked and stunned Uh, and, and started talking to the team about what was going on. And one of the players stopped me and said, well, wait a second, coach is what you're telling us. We're not playing tonight. And I had to tell the group of young men, like the season is over. Like Mm. we're done. God. And, uh, you know, I broke down crying as did many of our players. So probably the, the hardest, uh, team meeting that I've ever had, Brian, for sure.
3: Yeah, especially for those seniors. Again, like not only is the season over, your career is over.
1: Yeah, and 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 I think that you know a lot of times you know people have have often said to me since then about the seniors and and it, it, for us we had two players that declared for the NBA draft early, and both those players kept their name in the draft. So two highly talented players uh, that both could have made a huge uh, impact in an NCAA tournament type setting and would have had memories for life. Um, those two guys, um, you know, no longer, um, have an opportunity, uh, to, 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 play in the tournament last year. And I often think, you know, like maybe not having the opportunity last year to finish the season, uh, was a big factor in those guys keeping their name in the draft as well
3: so we mentioned that november 25th potential start date you said you're in a pause right now what do you do between now and november 25th because again it's kind of wait and see but also we need to be prepared
1: yeah i mean i think the big thing is um you know you can't burn your team out so uh be- because guys came back we were able to really get some good work in, and now i'm trying to taper to how are we going to get ourselves ready, uh, but yet not knowing if we 're going to play twenty five games or if we 're going to play twenty seven games because I think you've got to tailor your schedule uh, practice wise Brian, to exactly you know how you're going to end like you you've almost got to look at the at the end of the season and work yourself backwards from a uh practice standpoint on you know when when are you going to be able to peak and in a normal year we have a practice plan that we've used the last five years well that thing's you know in the garbage right now because we lost five weeks in the summer Um, so now we're just trying to figure out like how much you know how much video once we get started mid-october Um, When official practice starts and we're we're out of the, you know, we've been in four hours a week um, and now we transition Monday to eight hours a week. And then we've got to figure out, like, how are we going to use those eight hours for the next few weeks leading up to the first official practice? So there's a lot of planning, a lot of discussion going on on kind of how you move forward.
3: Yeah. I want to end our conversation on a few general topics. First, I'd be an idiot not to ask you this, but you've coached as a head coach in the NBA, and you've had great success. Like I said, 130 wins, 46 losses as an NCAA head coach. Biggest difference between being an NBA head coach and an NCAA head coach? Uh,
1: Rich Carlton compared (laughs) to Marriott. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A piece of pizza after a game or a filet mignon and lobster <laughs> on a charter flight. Uh, you know, I, there's so many differences, Brian. It's, it's uh, you know, I, I often laugh, you know, there'll be some times where you, especially at Nevada where, um, you know, you'll get per diem uh, on, a, on a time that you don't take your team out to a meal. Um, it could be like, you know, as, at outward bound so that the guys can eat at the airport prior to a commercial flight, they, they give you like seven bucks or whatever. And I'm thinking about my NBA per diem. <laughs> um, and so, but there's so many differences. It's so interesting. Cause like, I get this job at Nevada, having been a, an assistant coach in college for just three years. And I got all these side out of bounds, late game package plays, and there's hardly ever a side out of bounds in college. And so in the NBA, you've got to be a great side out-of-bounds offensive coach and defensive coach. Philosophically, at the collegiate level, you've got to be really good baseline out-of-bounds and baseline out-defense. That's how you can steal extra possessions. So just something that I never, you know, watching NBA and college all through my life, my dad coaching the Cavaliers and the Timberwolves in the NBA, but also coaching at the collegiate level, I had no idea that the baseline out of bounds side out is completely different in the two leagues. And then obviously I think the biggest thing philosophically is instead of 82 games, you're talking about 30 games, but the big thing that, that, that so many people miss on is the NBA game is 48 minutes compared to a 40 minute game. So there is this incredible adjustment when you're talking about only playing two games a week at the collegiate level, compared to three to four games at NBA, and then, by the way, you add the extra eight minutes per game, that drastically changes how you sub, when you sub, um, and all those things become extremely important philosophically as you're trying to put together a game plan, not only for each and every game that you play, but also a game plan throughout the course of the season
3: coach you come from the old school growing up around your dad and you know like you said tom thibodeau and and some others analytics a big part of today's game and you know i like to ask coaches i've had coach spo is a a really good friend of mine coach Fisdale, good friend it's evolving and changing and you have to figure out where do we use analytics versus where do we use like if i look at that heat team right now and we'll get into that in a minute but like Look at the heart and the guts of the guys on that team and the guys who were on the scrap heap and and are now doing great things. And I think the Heat used analytics, but they also coached them up and developed them the right way in order to have them in this position. So it's a long way of asking, how do you use analytics in today's game?
1: Well, analytics for us is really important because, you know, at Nevada, I think every job has its own. you got to find the niche. Um, Each job and you really got to study your school your program your university You got to study your your geographical area from a recruiting standpoint You got to understand like what other programs are around you uh, That you'll be competing with regionally from a recruiting standpoint So at Nevada for instance, we it was we were going to go the transfer that we were going to do that sprinkled in with some good high school players that we could get out of Sacramento Oakland or Los Angeles Um, And so we felt like analytically we had to be ahead of the game. Um, And so we have even at Nevada, we had an analytics department with two or three guys that they really, really studied along with me um, and try. And we came up with a formula for a PAC 12 transfer. If they average set between seven and 10 points, what they could average in the Mount West. And obviously that would jump up to about 13 points to 15 points. So we had this philosophical based on numbers we could plug guys in then we get to the SEC we add Clay Mosier to our staff and Clay had been the leader of the analytics department for the Los Angeles Lakers so he adds a new layer to what we've already studied and when i was when i was living in the bay area uh, one of our one of our neighbors in Danville California was Billy Dean uh, with the Oakland A. Wow. And so I tried to study, talk to Billy, um, tried to really dive into the book Moneyball. But this analytics thing, its and, and Coach Tom Thibodeau and I laugh about it all the time. My dad was so into analytics. Uh, he had a formula uh, for rebounds per minute, and he divided the rebounds per minute the opposite way that most people do. Uh, and anybody that was a 2.7 or above was a great rebounder and if anybody was a 3.0 or above would be a phenomenal rebounder and so when he was coaching in the minor leagues guys like ed neely were off the charts and he in his rebounds per minute thing and neely gets called up and is one of the great rebound per minute guys when he played coming out of the cba in the minor league so i think this analytic stuff brian's been around for so long um, I worked with Hubie Brown. Uh, we, we took a, a Nike all-star team to Limoges, France. This was 20 years ago. Um, and, and he, I put together the team of minor league players. Coach Brown coached him, but he had a statistical formula and a philosophy that your small forward had to be a great defensive rebounder and that could ignite the fast break. By dominating the defensive boards with not just your power forward and your center, but how your small forward had to be a great defensive rebounder. So think about how old school uh, Coach Hubie Brown is, and he had a rhyme or reason from a statistical analytics standpoint on how he wanted – the game to be played so and I think you know in baseball Kevin Towers the former general manager of the San Diego Padres was a really good friend and they used analytics in their draft room he let me sit in the Padres draft room one year when they had the number one overall pick and I was blown away uh, with all the statistical uh, formulas that their regional scouts and their cross checkers had as well
3: Man, you've been around some amazing Yodas, as I would call them, in in sports.
1: I've been so lucky. An interesting story, Brian, is when I got fired from the Golden State Warriors, I got a phone call from Michael Lombardi. And Michael was an executive with the Oakland Raiders. And it was out of the – I never talked to Michael ever. uh, And he just called and said, hey, look, I've been fired before. Uh, Our owner, Al Davis, loves – the NBA. He loves basketball. If you want an office to come in and watch game film and hang out, you got it. Come anytime. Well, I went the next day, and there's nobody better to talk philosophically how to build a roster. Uh, Michael Lombardi is incredible, um, and he just came out with the book Gr- Gridiron Genius. Um, and and, and to, to think that I could be around somebody like Michael Lombardi who's not in our sport or Kevin Towers or be able to talk to Billy Bean, all those people and then you know, to be an assistant coach in Memphis and watch how Jerry West manipulates a draft through, just so many great lessons from being around so many incredible leaders.
3: That's awesome. Just a couple more questions. So you tweeted out every team needs an effortless playmaker. So there's four teams left in the NBA playoffs, Boston, Miami, L.A., Denver. Who are the four effortless playmakers on each one of those teams in your mind?
1: Well, I think, you know, right off the bat, like with Denver, the Joker. Right. um, You know, like they're running their offense, you know, through him, which, you know, to me is unique. He's a willing passer. He loves to pass. He loves to make People better and, and, and I, you know, like when you look at that Denver team, like what's their MO? Well, their MO right now is have fun and smile. Like they enjoy being around each other. They're, pl- they're not playing with a weighted vest on their back. Um, they're playing free. They're playing loose. Um, and, and, and every team's got to have some type of identity, uh, Brian. And, and that's what you got or what you're getting right now. Um, with Denver and they're embracing this, Hey, we're going to have fun doing it. And then you have, you know, the Lakers and obviously they're effortless players, LeBron. Um, but, but they're playing with a lot of pressure, um, and they're handling it and, and, and advancing. And, uh, so that's a quick look at the, at the West. And then you go to the East and I mean, Miami, man, that's the, like, they're like kind of like the old Detroit Piston bad boy teams. Like they're going to get under your skin. They're going to defend you in game one against Boston. Miami played approximately 10 to 12 zone defensive possessions. And then they came back last night, and played between 30 and 40, depending on if my son was counting or I was counting. <laughs> uh, but that shows you Coach Spoh's ability to make adjustments because they were not that heavy in the zone most of, most of the regular season. And, and he's got them clicking on all cylinders and, and the culture that he and Coach Riley have down there. There's never a better conditioned team. Um, and, and you know what? Like their philosophy is how do we win every year? Like you're never going to hear about the process or the rebuild in Miami. That's not their DNA. Their DNA is we're going to develop our own guys like they have with Tyler Hero and guys like like they got guys that are getting better. Duncan Robbins, those guys are getting better. And then they've added veterans like Jimmy Butler and, and Butler's probably the effortless guy, um, you know, with Miami. And then you go to, 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 to Boston and at least through the first two games i think miami has just worn down boston from a mental toughness standpoint now we never know where the series goes from here
3: and then the lakers i mean i would think lebron is their effortless playmaker he makes everything look so easy
1: there's no question i mean when you have a player like that that commands all eyes and all the attention and you think about the long advanced passes that lebron can make and um, he is one of the all-time great effortless passers and a guy that makes his teammates better on a nightly basis. I mean, a lot of guys that play with LeBron James, although he does carry the load offensively with every team he plays, a lot of guys have career years playing with him, which I think is an incredible, uh, you know, positive impact that he has because there are some really great scores that their teammates Have below average years as opposed to career years, which guys have with LeBron.
3: Well, and of all the things I'm looking forward to watching in the Lakers Nuggets series, you have two of the greatest passers of all time in LeBron and Jokic. And what a treat that's going to be to watch those two.
1: There's no doubt. And it's not, you know, to me, it's not just the vision, but it's the willingness and uh, liking to do it. You know, like Magic Johnson, when you watched him play, like he got more joy out of making a great pass and you can see that in LeBron and the Joker is those two guys enjoy it like to watch the elbow game with with Joker and Murray is incredible I mean those guys love giving the ball back to each other and then Murray will move without it curl and they know they're going to get it back when they're open Uh, and that makes guys move without the basketball when the ball has eyes and you're willing to share, and then it becomes contagious.
3: Last question for you, Coach. Uh, Social justice has become such a big issue this year, as it should be. And, you know, whether you're a corporate person listening to this show or a coach like yourself, you're having to talk to your staff and to people in your life about – you know the way of the world today and how we can make it better i've had a lot of guests on recently to talk about this topic how are you talking to your team about what they can do to make this world a better place
1: well it starts in my home um you know my wife and i um you know have these conversations all the time um and you know we have a daughter um you know who is half black half white And so the conversations that we have internally in our own household um, are incredibly impactful as I then go talk to our staff or our own team, Um, you know, like the the social injustice or just racism. um, You know, when my father coached in the 70s at the University of Minnesota, uh, there was a fight with Ohio State. Um, and, and I know the ins and outs of the fight. And a lot of it was was race-based. Um, and it never really came out because it was in the 70s. But I, I, I know what, what went on. And so I've been at a very, very young age, um, you know, have heard the conversations. I think the biggest thing is, like, we've all got to listen and we've all got to learn. Um, and the great thing that's going on right now you know, in my opinion, Brian is, is the, is the young people. Um, you know, cause even my own son, both of them, one a college age and one just out of college, um, like they get frustrated if not enough is done or not enough attention is brought to social injustice. And I think that our younger people uh, in our country Um, really, really want to make an impact and make a change, which I think is awesome.
3: No, I think it's great. And I think, you know, I have a 15 and a half year old daughter and I think this next generation is the generation of action and they're not just going to sit around and wait for things to happen. And, you know, as I've been reminding people on this show, vote. The way our world works is, is, you know, you exercise your right to vote and you go out and vote and that's how change is made. So at the very least, go out and register to vote and you know, I think isn't there a, a rule that there's going to be a day off in November so all the student athletes can go and vote?
1: Yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a, you know it's a great initiative and, and uh, one of the assistant coaches at Georgia Tech um, who played at Stanford and and was a head coach at the University of Portland, Eric Reveno, he he kind of started the thing with basketball in the NCAA, made a big push. Um, he actually reached out to my son and had my son try to help get other SEC people involved, and so on and so forth and and the voting is so important you know the what the nBA's done with with bringing awareness to voting um and, and even social injustice. I mean the calendar uh, that Rick Carlisle was reading off um, day by day um, uh, uh, from a social injustice calendar was something that we bring every day to our team and we read it and then we discuss it before we practice. So um, I think just continually to listen, continuing to educate um, and, and, and and most importantly, the young people, they're not afraid to voice their opinion. And I think that's the crucial thing um, is, is that people are able to speak up and, and, and give an opinion and let people know how they're truly feeling.
3: Eric Musselman, the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks men's basketball team. A great follow on Twitter, at Eric P. Musselman. Coach Muss, it was really nice to get the, the direct message from you after you listened to the Coach Westhead interview. I think it's great that, that you found that interview and that you found it interesting and really a pleasure to talk to you here today.
1: Brian, thanks so much. I mean, the Sports Business Radio, I mean, the podcast with Coach Westhead was so incredible. Uh, it was a, It's a must-listen on our staff uh, before we regather in 48 hours uh, after the weekend. They will all have listened to it. Um, and I, any young coach should listen to the veteran coaches like Coach Westhead. And, and the coolest thing is he had a system and an identity, which is the hardest thing for any coach. Like when you can watch a coach team in any sport, and you say, hey, they're going to do this. In this game, that's the greatest accomplishment, I think, any coach and Coach had That podcast was awesome. Keep doing what you're doing, Brian.
3: Thank you. Yeah, he's a treasure. Can you believe, before I let you go, the story he told of they used to practice at high schools, and the high school gym inside was closed, so he's out with Kareem and Magic practicing on the asphalt. How would that play today? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Brian, there's no chance today. But I will tell you, um, when I was when I was a ball boy for the San Diego Clippers and Gene Shue was coaching, World B. Free was playing with Nick Weatherspoon, Sweat Nader, Don Casey was an assistant coach. We practiced on the naval base uh, in San Diego. No air conditioning. Oh. I mean, that thing in in September was about 150 degrees. The floor (laughs) was never swept. And it's so interesting. We would go two-a-days. And on those two-a-days, because it was hard getting off and on the navel bit, Coach Hsu would actually have sandwiches brought in. And we would practice for two hours. Then there would be, like, you know, Subway sandwiches brought in. Guys would eat it, and then we'd go right back out. They wouldn't even retape. Try getting away with that now, not in a plush practice facility. There's zero chance that stuff happens.
3: Not in a million years. All right, Coach Musselman, thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. There's no question that live sports and entertainment events are changing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. To ensure a strong recovery that keeps fans safe and engaged, sports venues are reimagining game day with Boingo's 5G connectivity solutions. Boingo Wireless helps partners across the NFL, NBA, MLS, and NCAA redefine the in-venue experience with 5G-ready cellular and Wi-Fi 6 networks that power new touchless technologies. From contactless ticketing and security and in-app food ordering, to IoT robotics for cleaning and maintenance, Boingo's backbone of wireless connectivity makes new stadium use cases possible. Choosing a digital transformation partner you can trust is key to achieving fan experience goals and following rigorous health and safety protocols. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They help world-class venues navigate a complex and ever-changing technology landscape and have done so for 20 years. I recently had Austin FC president Andy Lochne on Sports Business Radio. Here's what he had to say about Boingo, Austin FC's 5G partner.
1: A relatively competitive process led to a relatively easy decision. The decision to go with Boingo was one that came with a lot of comfort and confidence.
3: Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most and Boingo makes it all possible. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. If you need a trusted partner for your network and digital transformation needs, look no further than Boingo. Learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. We're back here on Sports Business Radio. And since the sports world shut down on March 11th, Sports Business Radio co-founder Keith Foreman has joined me regularly for what I would say COVID 19 segments, updates. We kind of discuss how this is all progressing. Keith Foreman joins me now. Keith, how are you? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm all right too. Uh it's interesting to see, you know, where we are with things now. Cause obviously in March, which seems like a decade ago, we looked ahead to now and, and you know tried to figure out what the sports world would look like. But uh, I wanted to cover a number of different topics with you in leagues. And, you know, let's start with the NFL. So the NFL, you know, king in the United States gets the best TV ratings. And, you know, we wondered there's 100 plus coaches and players on an NFL team. How would they be able to play without spreading COVID or having COVID shut down their their locker room? And so far after we're two weeks in, but we've had. A full week of testing in week one, only two positive cases with players, and much like the NBA has really figured out how to do the testing and how to isolate people and how to keep the COVID from spreading so far. And I know we're very early on. NFL seems to be doing a pretty good job.
0: Yeah, I think from a, a stamp, you know, from a from a um, you know health mitigation standpoint, and 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 all those checks and balances yeah i mean they've they've certainly had the opportunity to learn uh from everybody else which is something we talked about early on and you know back on march 11 i don't think anybody had any clue yet what the impact would be of covid the reality probably for the nfl is that you know the murder of george floyd and the whole you know escalation of the black lives matter movement has probably had more of an impact on this season um you know, obviously other than no fans in the stands and, you know, wearing masks on the sideline and that kind of stuff. But, you know, you went from a league where they had trouble uh, recognizing Colin Kaepernick to uh, all of a sudden a league that's using images of him in promotional videos.
3: Yeah. And it's interesting because, yes, I think it's it's much better. Um, you still have Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reid who are out of the league, who are still criticizing right. the NFL. Kaepernick according to Reed, has not been contacted by Commissioner Goodell. Um, So, you know, you want to believe that they're moving in the right direction, but then you hear things like that and you go, well, are they really moving in the right direction? But as far as what they're allowing the players to do with, you know, their cleats and and with, you know, just kneeling and and it doesn't have the same uh, overtones that it had before. It's much more... Acceptable, which I think is progress and it's a it's a point in the right direction. Now, NFL has tens of millions of dollars to spend on testing and they're doing it just like the NBA. College football on the other hand, Keith, is a mess. So before this past weekend's games, there were twenty-nine FBS games played. 16 games were postponed or canceled. So almost as many games canceled or postponed as you had played at this point. We're seeing you know, Houston Baylor postponed and it's a mess in, in college sports. And as you just heard you know, in the interview with Eric Musselman, the head coach at the University of Arkansas, they're testing once a week, every Tuesday. That's when they're testing. So college athletes are not being tested as much as the pro athletes, and we're seeing that the results of COVID spreading on the college level are, are much greater.
0: Yeah, this is a really, really messy situation. And boy, if you were to overlay some maps, um, you know, if you were to look at, at the um, cases, the COVID cases uh, that are popping up in different parts of the country it's pretty striking how similar where those cases are popping up are to where people um, or where schools are trying to play college football. Um, this is this is a mess and every case is totally different. You've got schools that are testing daily and you've got schools, like you said, that are testing once a week. And I think what's what COVID has exposed in college football, is that? I guess sure. In some cases, we're talking about student athletes that are playing football. But I mean, the 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 veneer's been ripped off of this thing. From so I can't remember who 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 wrote that in that exact way. These football players are essential employees. Period. Right. I mean, the Big Ten is in the middle of a six-year two point six four billion dollar TV deal with ESPN and Fox sports. That's the reason they're coming back.
3: Yeah. And as I said to coach Moss, like I get it, right? Your college athletics and like any business right now, you're just trying to survive. And football is the revenue generator for college sports. Basketball is second March madness was already lost. So you lost, you know, a lot of money there. So they're in survival mode. I get that. But what you said is also correct that, You know, these are not pro athletes. They are not NFL players. They are not NBA players. They are not being handsomely rewarded for risking their health. And the thing that's interesting to me is, you know, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were the two conferences that said, we're not playing in the fall. Well, now the Big Ten has announced they're coming back and they are going to play. And the Pac-12 is on the cusp of doing so as well. So now even the two conferences that said, hey, we're not going to play, The health and safety of the players is first and foremost. Now they're coming back, and it's because of pressure from the coaches and from the parents and from the athletic directors. And, you know, we're going to see how this turns out. It may turn out and be fine.
0: But remember when we remember when we used to worry about health and safety in football uh, more for the head injuries? Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, now you layer in the COVID. And then if you're on the West Coast, you know, you've got incredibly hazardous air over the last 3 weeks you know that you know uh training you know practices have been canceled and and the like so you know again you've got a group of human beings you know that are 18 to 22 years old that are pretty much just told where to go and what to do and don't have a whole lot of say in the matter and are absolutely essential in generating huge dollars for universities and conferences, and I'll tell you what I mean. Having a sophomore on the campus at um, well, he's living off campus at University of Colorado. Um, it is just it's dramatic the difference in the college experience between the athlete and the student. And so, you know, yeah, of course, Dabo Sweeney and and you know and coaches of the like can can talk about how everything is dialed and their athletes are totally protected and everything's great. Well, not for everyone, right? And And so the college experience and this is where college football absolutely falls flat, You flip on the game, you know, to try to watch a game. And it's it's kind of hard to get into it in the sense that, you know, it's it's really just an exhibition. What does this really even mean without fans in the stands?
3: Yeah. And again, you've got like, it's hilarious. You've got the AP rankings coming out and you don't have any players or any teams from the Pac-12 and, and Big Ten in there. So it's like it It reminds me and we'll move into baseball now. I look at baseball this season, Major League Baseball. It's an exhibition to me, like whatever happens at the end of this year. It doesn't really mean anything to me because there have been so many games postponed There have been so many players that have decided to sit out this season. It just doesn't feel like a typical season. And again, I know that they're doing the best they can do with with what they have. But MLB, Keith, is going to play their postseason in a bubble. I think that's a smart decision.
0: Um, What are your thoughts on where Major League Baseball is right now? Well, this one's more personal for me than the other sports we've gone through so far, just because I'm, I'm a hardcore Dodger fan. And so it's a great team. And it's just a bummer that this team that was already really good and added Mookie Betts, you know, and is essentially running away, you know, with their eighth NL West, um, that there's going to be a, an asterisk on this season, you know, but they won the 1981 season. I don't know. I think people look back at 81 and don't think too much of that as a, as a, you know, um, lessened championship because of the, um, the strike that took place. And that's when they played the best, you know, winner from each half in the playoffs. But this is a different story. You've only got 60 games they' They've been tinkering with all kinds of new, new, you know, ways to play the game, putting runners on second in extra innings you know, playing seven inning double headers, uh, DH in both leagues, expanded playoff. And, you know, Manfred's trying to ram, ram a lot of those things through to to become the norm in the next regular season. And uh, I mean, look, it's the same playing field for all. But no, it isn't. Because some teams have played, you know, 60 games and other teams have played 45 games and some teams have played against really good competition and other teams have played against nobody. So it's I guess, yes, you'll crown a champion, but you're always going to look back at this year with 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 some level of skepticism.
3: Well, even things like no hitters. I mean, there have been two this year and that's great. And it's an incredible feat. But I just look at this year. I guess for me personally, and this is just personal choice, and, and maybe I shouldn't be doing this as the host of Sports Business Radio, but I have a hard time watching college football or Major League Baseball because I just yeah. see it as exhibition. I don't see it well, as genuine. But let's
0: but let's be honest. I mean the hard time that we're having um, and a lot of people are having watching sport is because the backdrop is just so serious. I mean if you're living in the western states and you're choking on – You know, hazardous smoke or trying to prevent yourself from getting COVID, or you're in the South and you're, you know, underwater, you know, because of hurricanes, or, you know, you're just, you know, wrestling with a really you know um intense election year you know if you're politically minded and then the recent news of you know notorious RBG passing away and the seriousness of the supreme court i mean these are all really serious life issues that we have not to mention you know people that are out of work and and forced to be at home and kids aren't in school and with that backdrop sports i'm sorry it just it doesn't it's not as much fun as in normal times and that was really the case and i'm i'm going to move the the needle um forward to golf you know watching u.s open this weekend brian you know these announcers were using words like devastated and crushed and their hopes and dreams are dashed you know when they're missing three foot putts and it's just it's hard to use language like that when you could clearly see no one's on the course for very serious reasons
3: right yeah and and i tweeted that out uh Last week, the, you know, some of the, the press releases we're getting and, and language yeah. <laughs> that we're hearing and things like that. And, you know, I even I think I used that word in the interview with uh, Eric Musselman, that the kids who missed out on March Madness last year were devastated. And, and they were. But if you use that same language with the serious things that you just put into context, it, it seems like it doesn't matter quite as much. So I get it. And I think it's going to be interesting You know, whenever we're out of this or the new norm is in place, is it a year from now, two years from now? Are we going to watch sports differently? I mean, you know, we've said this many times, there's going to be a new normal coming out of this. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But will people, when there's maybe not the serious, serious stuff that we're living through this year in 2021 or 2022, will they go back and go, okay, sports matters more to me now because there's not all of this gloom and doom in the world on, on, Other fronts. I want to move into NBA because to me, and I, you know, I come from NBA, but they've done the best job of anyone. This is the highest compliment I can pay the NBA. I've almost forgotten when I'm watching an NBA game that there's COVID going on. Like the, Mm -hmm. the the level of play is so good, and they're so dialed in on every front, whether it's safety or the game itself. I I almost forget there's COVID. It it is an escape for me when I watch an NBA game. And I think the quality of of play has been really, really high.
0: I agree. And I think you can say the same thing for golf and tennis. I think the level of play, if you watch the the U.S. Open, the men's semis, sorry, the the women's semis, and then both finals were phenomenal tennis. And you're you're talking tennis. And having been to U.S. Open tennis, I can tell you that that crowd is really a distraction. It's so loud. There's so many people. Same thing for U.S. Open golf. You could argue that, you know, Deschamps was just locked in. You know, um, and part of it was he didn't have to deal with just the craziness of like a New York-based crowd. And then to bring it back to the NBA, you're right. I mean, they have been locked in because they they've created a, a like a, a cage. You know, a, a venue that is so focused on them playing the game. Uh, Yeah, you've got, you know, bells and whistles around the courts with all the LED and, and, you know, um, and screens and and virtual fans and all that stuff, but it just seems to work. And you could argue that maybe the NBA's product, you know, uh, not by design, was kind of best suited for this kind of crazy no-fan environment.
3: Yeah, and again... You know, I, I think what they've done with the virtual fan experience, which I got to be a part of last week, and some of the other innovations that they've come up with have been really good for the the game itself. Some of the camera angles, I love that camera angle that's on the sideline, and you're basically yeah. coming up court at the same level as the player when the player's coming up court. We've never really seen that angle before. Um, they're coming up with some yeah. creative things, and and I just feel well, I, like when I'm watching that game, it's it's really intense
0: yeah i also feel like the the broadcasts themselves the producers of these broadcasts and the announcers and all the tech people have kind of figured it out you know it was a little messy at first getting the the, the mix right between the fake crowd noise and when to pipe in you know certain elements and i feel like lately the the co- the amount of of audio that I'm getting of hearing the players yeah. you know on the field or on the court I'm MLS has even finally gotten this right they've toned down the the fake chanting from the crowd right. and I'm really hearing you know the players um you know yelling at each other on the field and the coaches yelling and it to me I mean, just embrace that. Yeah, it's a it's a different crazy time. Let's lean in on that for a change. Well,
3: so to bring that example to life, I was watching the end of the Kansas City Chiefs-LA Chargers game yesterday. goes into overtime, and Butker, who's probably the best kicker in the NFL for the Chiefs, has a 58-yard field goal. Well, it was a 50-yard field goal or 53. Then there's a penalty. He's got to kick two more. He finally ends up kicking the game winner. So he kicks three 50-plus yarders, in that pressure cooker to win the game for the Chiefs, you could hear all of the chatter on both sides of the ball during those three kicks. And I thought we never get to hear this stuff because no. it's a full stadium. And I thought that was really cool, both the celebration at the end of the game. But even before then, you could hear the coaches and you could hear the timeout. And you could hear the referees. And it was really an element that we've never really heard in NFL
0: broadcasts. Yeah. Agreed. Same thing happened in the last open yesterday. Um, Yeah, I mean, you've heard caddies and, and, you know, uh, golfers talk before about setting up a shot, but you just got more of it, and it just seemed to add to the broadcast more. You could watch it, you know, a lot better. You had also a crazy scenario, you know, right at the beginning of the broadcast when Harris English, you know, pulled his ball left into the the thick stuff, and there were like 20 marshals uh, stomping around trying to find his ball, and they could not find it. And you could just see the anger on his face. He's like, you know, look, you got one job out here. You're standing out here. You get the free swag. You, you, you get to be out here when nobody else is, and you cannot find my ball. So he had to march back to the first tee, you know, and, and just to hear all of that conversation while they're looking for the ball and see his frustration, that was actually pretty good sports television.
3: Yeah, and shout out to my guy, Danny Lee. I don't know if you saw this, Keith. He had a three-foot putt. He ended up six putting from three feet, so I, I tweeted out yeah. the video and yeah. holy cow! Like we've all been there, right? <laughs> yeah. But it just got to be. It, it reminded me of Tin Cup, where you're just like, dude, stop! Like just take a minute and hit the ball in. It's three feet away, but he would like intentionally hit it past the hole, and then he'd come back the other way, and he literally six put from three feet, and. You just felt for him, and how much money did that cost him? But you, you kind of heard that in real time too.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, I thought that golf, the golf plays well. It really does. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the the crowd adds, you know, uh, a, a ton, obviously, in a U.S. Open environment, especially in New York. But I just the stories that these golfers, you know, have. Um, the, especially the, the DeChambeau story is just fascinating, you know, with, with him changing his body and approaching the game completely different. And the fact that he was able to do something, you know, to tame that course on a day when not another golfer in the world could, other than maybe, you know, Matt Wolf who for 21, you know, had a phenomenal, uh, tournament, you know, that's a story right there. Yeah.
3: No, it it was, I mean, if you're him, that one major win was worth the effort you put in to changing your body and your diet and how you hit the ball. So NHL Stanley cup finals, Dallas stars, Tampa Bay lightning. Um, You know, I think NHL has done a great job just like NBA. They've kept the COVID uh, positive tests, almost non-existent. They played in the two bubbles. Now they're down to one bubble. But if you're just putting on a clinic on how to safely execute a playoff run, NHL deserves a lot of credit too, Keith.
0: And their staging looks really good. I mean, every time I see highlights, I just feel like their lighting is good. Their, the, 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 um, the backdrops, the vinyls they've put over the seats, um, the, it's just the whole package, the product looks good. And similar to NBA, I mean, their product kind of works in an arena – indoors with the lights down and the uh and the stage lit up so to speak
3: it's almost like the old forum remember we'd go to a laker game and they would like dim all the lights on the seats and then it was just like the spotlight on the stage slash court and yeah
0: but the difference was you had you know so much cigarette smoke hovering above (laughs) the uh the court crazy
3: oh my gosh uh is there anything else going on right now that's caught your eye and then i want to touch on you know we we've tried to look into our crystal ball and and figure out like what's coming for the next few months since we're doing these segments you know i'd say once every six weeks anything that's caught your eye and then also uh what do you think is ahead
0: well i think karma has caught up with the houston astros (laughs) Uh, that's true Uh, Verlander announced the other day that he, uh, he's got to go in for Tommy John surgery. Right. You know, there's, there's a very good chance they could miss, uh, the playoffs, which not making the playoffs in this year's MLB is like not getting included in the phone book. Um, so that's kind of fun to see. Um, and then, uh, I think the masters will be interesting to, to see how that plays out in November, um, You know, that that's uh, that's a course that isn't it dialed. Isn't like aren't aren't the flowers programmed to open up exactly on that on that weekend, the azaleas. Yeah, it'll just be very interesting to see, you know, what that course looks like and what the conditions are, you know, uh, uh, in November. The other thing that that I think is going to be really interesting is, you know, we touched on college football. We didn't talk about the CFP, which, you know, people just get so obsessed over. And really, it's just a contest between four four teams. It seems like every year. Well, obviously it's four teams, but it's the same four teams seemingly. Um, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, and who? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we just have Alabama and Clemson play in a best of seven and, and call the college, call it a year for college football. Yeah. But you know, you're going to have a CFP that's basing their decision, which again is, is their own special formula, you know, um, their own, proprietary blend of of herbs and spices that that determine who the the champion you know um, competitor you know that who the team should be that compete for it and and it's you know how are they going to base their decision off like you said all the games that have been canceled all the conferences that have played you know some games all the conferences that are, i mean geez what were the games this weekend si- who did citadel lose to and not score in the game
3: well, i don't even know
0: yeah i mean it's you've got it's just the, the landscape is so bizarre for trying to, to pick teams. But, well, and what you know, happens it's...
3: if you get to that game and your star quarterback has COVID? And so you were selected to play in the college football playoff, but you're, right. you're, you know one of your stars has COVID. And by the way, can I get on my soapbox for a minute? Why in God's name is Trevor Lawrence playing this season? Why did he not opt out? He's going to be the number one pick. Why would you risk getting hurt? Why would you risk being around your teammates? You know, I I understand the love of college football and I love Dabo and Clemson and you've already got a college football national championship. I just, it makes the worst business sense of any decision I've seen in a long time.
0: Well, that's another thing to look to is it's amazing how many, you know, kids are opting out of playing, you know, it's not amazing. I guess it it makes sense. Uh, But then, You know, the next year will be really bizarre as to who plays and who doesn't, who gets drafted when and who doesn't. And, you know, how the schedules are impacted and how unhealthy it probably is to have kids playing, you know, college football in the spring and then again in the fall. You know, if if there is spring football, it's just that that's the scheduling, I think, is going to be uh, one of the more uh, impacted um, elements of sport, you know, certainly into the winter and then next spring.
3: Well, not just at the college level. A lot of the high schools have deferred sports to spring. Right. Too. So, you know, now what if you're a high school player and, you know, gosh, Keith, yesterday, let me just read it really quickly, and we're recording this on on Monday, but Saquon Barkley, Nick Bosa, um, Jimmy Garoppolo, Christian McCaffrey, I mean, there were probably a dozen What I would say A to B list players who had very serious injuries yesterday were carted off the football field. And what everyone said is because there were brief and OTAs, because there was no preseason, there were going to be more injuries likely to occur this year. So I'm not saying there should have been preseason or more OTAs because we're in COVID. But when you go from zero to 100 with a pro athlete, This is what's going to happen, and I wonder at the high school and college level if we're going to see similar results.
0: Yeah, and football is definitely the most vulnerable to that. I would say pitchers, you know, are are the other. We saw Caleb Ferguson for the Dodgers; same thing happened the other day. He threw a pitch and literally walked off the mound. Yeah, and he's got Tommy John now. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's a real issue. But my gosh, is that a serious one in football? And you know, with the pressure on these these highest level schools competing for, you know, CFP championship, LSU, Bama, Clemson, Ohio state, you just, you just got to really hope that there's, you know, some, some, some ethics involved and that if, if big, big names, important people get hurt or not hurt, but, you know, diagnosed, uh, you know, with, with the virus that they do the right thing. That's all.
3: Well, we've said for 16 years and we've certainly said it this year, follow the money trail and this year all of these decisions NFL NBA college sports golf hockey whatever it is it is being played because of the money involved because they need the TV money so you may go "Oh, there's no fans in the stands how are they making their money they're making it from the TV broadcasts and they've got to keep those contracts intact so we're seeing these leagues and even on the college level, as we've discussed today, bend over backwards to get these games in so they can get that TV money. That's what this all boils down to, Keith.
0: And you got to wonder if you're on the TV side of this or the sponsor side of this, are you getting your money's worth? Of course not. Right. So, yeah, you're, you're obviously, you know, obligated to fulfill your contract existing. But you just wonder how all of this is going to impact, you know, future contracts you know, future dollars, um, you know, yes, unions have negotiated with leagues to, you know, get a certain percentage, but you you wonder if across the board, that number actually goes down significantly.
3: Well, and you wonder if in future contracts, there's going to be a clause. Here's the contract with fans. Here's the contract without fans and it's less money for without fans. And, you know, another thing I noticed on NFL broadcasts versus other broadcasts, it's really interesting. They're shooting the field tight. So they're rarely, except for like on an extra point, showing the the empty seats. Yeah. The other leagues, MLS and some of these other leagues that are outside, they've put tarps out there that are sponsored, and it's good sponsor activation or exposure. It's not the same, but at least it's something. So I wonder if someone at the NFL told the networks, look, we don't want to show empty seats. We're not doing the tarps in the stands. Like, shoot the field tight and let's not show those empty seats.
0: I think as a producer of, of, a, of a sports, a live sports event, you pretty much have to make a decision, you know, going into setting up your show. Are we going to address the world that we're living in? Are we going to talk about, are we going to show, are we going to expose what's going on? Or are we going to treat this as an escape? and there's fantasy. And I think football, I think the NFL in particular, and even college football too. I mean, those camera angles are tight on those college games as well. Um, I think they're treating their product as an escape. It's like, yeah, it's a tough, everyone's dealing with a lot of tough stuff right now, but here's an opportunity to escape everything and just enjoy some football and be entertained for three hours, you know, and, and you still have your fantasy leagues, um, you know, and I think that's how the NFL is treating this more than the other leagues. All right. Before we wrap up, any final thoughts? No, I think I've given you all my thoughts. I, you know, I just woke up and, and, and got my first coffee in me. So just to be able to get out a thought this morning, well, a fresh uh, cup of not,
3: perspective, that's what this is.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, we could have started after I got my coffee in me and you might've gotten something a little, a little bit better from me, but, But no, I think this is all I've got. I'm going back to bed. All right.
3: Keith Foreman, co-founder of Sports Business Radio, CEO of A Fresh Cup of Perspective. Thank you for joining us. And we'll do this again soon. Thanks, Pete. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear, disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like JJ Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Maine also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMaine.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMaine.com, code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon, right here on Sports Business Radio.